What would you do if I told you that through one action, you could fight hunger and food insecurity in your community? You could rescue high-end and nutritious excess food, food that was lovingly grown, shipped many miles, and painstakingly prepared in restaurants and businesses, ultimately to be discarded in mass into dumpsters. What if I told you that through this same action, you would be stewarding our environment, diverting this would-be food waste away from landfills, and consequently, preventing it from breaking down anaerobically to produce methane, a potent greenhouse gas estimated to be 20 to 100 times more dangerous than carbon dioxide. Instead, you could help deliver this food to some of the one in seven U.S. citizens or one in five children aged five or under whom are currently classified as food insecure, meaning they don't have enough food to meet their basic daily nutritional needs. What if I told you that you are the missing link that can help unravel one of our most complex problems that results in some having way too much while others don't have nearly enough? And finally, what if you learned that a simple and elegant solution exists that brings all of these parts together? Are you ready for this? As we stand in the threshold of 2018, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Food Rescue US, a network of food warriors. This is Food Warriors, the podcast that's transforming how we think about food. One food warrior at a time. With your host, the foodie alchemist. Hey, hey, food warriors. Welcome back. I'm Jamie Rothbard, the Foodie Alchemist, and this is part two of our episode with Kate Urbank of Food Rescue U.S. She is the director of the Washington, D.C. site, and Food Rescue U.S. is a technology-based, volunteer-driven, direct transfer platform that is simple, sustainable, and replicable. Volunteer food rescuers across the country deliver fresh food from businesses that have too much to people who have too little. While there are a growing number of food recovery efforts underway, Food Rescue U.S. is the only organization in food rescue operating with their unique model. In part one, we explored Kate's anatomy as a food waste warrior as she shared her story of how she harnessed all of her passions and unique gifts and eventually took them to work with Food Rescue U.S. If you missed it, I especially recommend the show to those of you out there with a passion and drive to be part of turning the tide and creating impactful change but maybe you're struggling with knowing what to do and where to go. You may feel overwhelmed, overlooked, or inadequate, but fact of the matter is your niche is out there too, and your gifts are needed. Check out Kate's story and look into this blueprint of identifying your own skill set, acknowledging what makes you feel good, and integrating your passion so you can merge it with the work of others and create a collective impact. This is what we're all about here at Food Warriors. And the sooner you can discover and get into your own role, the better. So let's take a deeper dive together into what food recovery is all about, picking up right where we left off with Kate Urbank of Food Rescue US.
And then you also have a gleaning program, which ensures that produce from farms is being recovered and brought, like these nutrient-dense foods that are being left fallow in the fields because they can't be harvested or there's too much of it. That's another component of Food Rescue U.S. that seeks to go and collect that food and bring it back to people who really are needing it. Well, it's interesting, the term gleaning, not everybody knows what that means, and and I actually didn't myself. You can glean a farm, which I did personally one day, which was an amazing experience. I went out with some folks to a farm in Maryland and picked eight bags of collard greens, and it was just a beautiful November day. This was in the very early days when I was just doing anything I could to connect with anybody who had food, and I found this lovely woman, Janie Boyd, who was 87 years old and she led this team of gleaners out of this farm. And so it was just a, a remarkable opportunity to kind of do something different. And so, yeah, I picked collard greens and brought it to a place called Christ House. So we glean farms not that often. I'd love to introduce that more and more because certain of my volunteers, I think, would love to do that experience. But we also glean farmers markets. We work with Fresh Farm. We work with independent farmers markets and we send our runners oftentimes with the same blue IKEA bags to collect up three, four hundred pounds of remarkable fresh produce. Oh, gorgeous produce. Oh, God bless Chicano Soul. Can we talk about? Uh, yes. Yara from Chicano Soul is at the Mount Vernon Triangle Farmer's Market, and she is a passionate farmer who is as passionate about making sure that none of her gorgeous produce goes to waste. And so we have been benefiting. We benefited all summer and into the fall. I can't wait till spring comes again. We reconnect with our farmers. And she was just supremely generous with sharing what she brought from her farm. And the thinking was always, by the time I put this food back on my truck and drive back, it just takes that much life away from it. Whereas you could come today, pick it up and buy you know, later this afternoon, it can be incorporated into uh, the meal at Martha's table or Miriam's kitchen. So I would not want to ever let Yara down because once you agree to glean a market, the farmers, you know, count on you to be there. And so my runners have been amazing. There've been times when a run wasn't covered and I have a select group of folks that I know I can kind of reach out to and I would let it be known that the Mount Vernon uh, market wasn't covered. And sure enough, off they went to make sure that we gleaned those markets as well. For sure. We get invested as well. Just after doing a couple of those runs from Mount Vernon to Martha's table and just seeing the look on the chef's face when you're just unloading these three pound heirloom tomatoes and these bags of beautiful washed cilantro that's organic. And you just don't ever want to let that go. You want to make sure that it finds its home. And it's so wonderful, the generosity of these donors to just see that it goes to a place where it's needed. It really is a heart filling experience. I think as a volunteer, that's a point that I'd love to make. You are loved when you pick up and drop off. It is such a rewarding. I think that's why when I was job hunting down here and I felt like I needed to kind of find something to make me happy and keep me engaged. And I thought, well, when you do food rescue, you arrive and the donors are so happy to see you because that means they can pass on food that they care about, that they've bothered to harvest or they've wrapped up and boxed for you to pick up. And so they're grateful that you're doing that. Sometimes they get encouraged because of 
of a tax incentive, which is wonderful. That's a good reason. Sometimes it's because they just don't want to see the food go to waste. So they love you coming to pick it up. Then you drop it off sometimes 10 minutes down the road and people come out to help unpack your car. And they're the people who are going to be able to receive the food and eat the food. And of course, they love you too. So I like to say that it's probably the most feel good hour of any week that somebody can spend doing a food run. 100% carload of food. It's just like nothing else to be able to know that that didn't go into the garbage can. And it just increases this consciousness that's needed so much right now around loving our food and loving all of the effort and the resources that went into producing it and bringing it to us so that we could process it and hopefully serve it as a meal. But if not, then to be able to turn around and to give it to another person who otherwise doesn't have access to it. It's just the perfect solution. I think what Food Rescue US is becoming more and more known for is the quality of the food that we're able to recover. We work with Sedexo cafeterias at National Geographic, at Boeing, at the National Academy of Sciences, among others. And they provide really, really lovely food that comes off their meal service. And I have my my friend Christina over at Charlie's Place is one of the most exuberant receivers of the food that we get. And she will just text me as she did yesterday morning and said, oh, my gosh, we got crab cakes The the clients are going to go nuts. And it's really true. It's chicken marsala. It's shrimp scampi. It's just food of a quality that many of the people who have been receiving meals at some of these agencies just had not been accustomed to because this food has not been being really rescued and that quickly and that fresh. It's so true. I remember bringing some bags of bread from Bread First to Christina. And the first thing she said was, this is from an award-winning bakery. She was completely on board with like where it came from and total appreciation and awe that this was coming to her. And she was for sure going to use every scrap of that bread to its highest purpose, which I know would make the people at Bread First so happy to hear. It's just so wonderful. I was very fortunate that Representative Jim Himes, who's the congressman from the 4th Congressional District in Connecticut, where Food Rescue U.S. is based, was able to do a run for me a couple weeks ago, which was really very nice when a congressman stops by National Geographic to pick up 12 pans of food. And we drove it over to Christina at Charlie's Place. And she's she's so good at expressing the value of this recovered food. And she told Congressman Himes about the transformational nature of serving her clients food that is of such quality. And I saw him and he later commented how impressive it was to hear her story about what this food has meant to her. So uh, yeah, she's one of my special, special people in this food rescue world. One of so many, because you have cultivated so, so many relationships in the time that you've, in the one one plus how many months, it hasn't even been a year and a half you've been here and you're just all up in this city. And I would love to know a little bit about how your process has been in doing that. You did show me at one point that you had made yourself this little map with the red (laughs) dots and you've coordinated all of the volunteers. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I don't know what I'd do without my map because I never want a volunteer to have to drive more than 15 or 20 minutes max. It's really important for me to be able to visualize where a pickup is versus a drop-off and also which volunteers might be located near either the point A or point B. So I have a Google map where I dropped pins for each address for my runners are coded in red, my donors are coded in yellow and the receiving agencies are coded in purple. And it is, it has a little mechanism where I can type in from, you know, we, the pizza to Shirley's place. And it'll say it's 0.8 miles and it's just a six minute drive down the road. And then I think, well, that's a good match. I have to kind of match in whether the food is prepared versus pantry items and also keep it the size, whether it's to feed 40 people or 250 people. And then finally, making sure that we're not asking volunteers to drive further than they should have to. By the way, this program is growing. I was out in McLean the other day and dropping off in Reston. We're out in Arlington. As long as people sign up and it makes reasonable sense, we tag them as part of the DC program. Uh, And when I moved back here, I learned the term the DMV, which I didn't know about when I lived here years ago. A quick footnote for our listeners. That acronym DMV stands for DC, Maryland, and Virginia, and not the Department of Motor Vehicles for those of you out there outside of the DMV range. But we are definitely in the DMV, and it's largely congested here in the city, but I'm encouraged as I see it growing. And one of the things about this program is the expansion. That's part of why we have this new app, because it allows for new sites to develop. And I sometimes look at what's happening out at Tyson's Corner and Fairfax and McLean, and I think it's conceivable that we could peel that off and have it be I guess, a Fairfax County, Virginia site that would be monitored and directed by somebody other than me. Because as of right now, I'm the one person down here who is orchestrating this. As of the 2014 U.S. Census Bureau estimate, the DMV area is the sixth largest metropolitan area in the country and the largest metropolitan area in the Census Bureau's southeast region. It has an estimated total population of 6,097,684 people. And there's so much potential for growth. I mean, I drive down the street and I think I could try that place or this place might be a financial donor or I need to speak to this volunteer group to see if I can cultivate volunteers. So it's just, you know, everywhere I look, there are people who could become involved in this program. So it is important for me to realize at a certain point, If an area is growing, it might be time to see if there's an agency on the ground already that's doing food recovery work. As I look at our growth, and I sometimes think it might be time to look for an agency that is concerned about feeding people and see if perhaps they might have a staffer who could use our app as a tool. It, it's a free app. We, we give it away. It comes with amazing technical support from our fabulous team up in Connecticut. But once you get trained on the app, it really does just kind of start to click. And so as we grow around the country more and more, we're hoping to get people to realize that this tool is available to them and it makes the planning of an engagement of volunteers, which is so important to lead to success. So it's it's really been wonderful to kind of think about, we now have a little Alexandria 
site that is needing a little bit of attention to get up and running properly. But I've captured the attention of some people there and we're hoping to work with a group called Hunger Free Alexandria and get them up and running. Because again, so much of this has to do with getting to know your community. You have to kind of know the players. And I'm oftentimes Googling, trying to find out which agencies might take which food by zip code. And it works, but it's best when you can come to a community and immediately talk to the folks who kind of know the scene and potentially just use our app as a tool to help them get their work done quicker. Oh, that's a great point. So other agencies and service organizations could use Food Rescue US as a resource tool for identifying key donors and receivers through the app. And they could potentially also be able to feed information back into Food Rescue US so we could be more efficient about how we serve these different clients throughout the area. So a definite theme has emerged in this show, and that has been around relationship building We've been talking about some of the potential ways that Food Rescue U.S. could be brought in to help agencies and organizations of service to ramp up food donations. I think right now is a perfect time to segue into some of the really incredible opportunities that are starting to unfold for new volunteers. You've also pursued a relationship that is bringing into the fold people who do not have cars but still want to volunteer. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we were fortunate to connect with Zipcar to make a connection so that folks who don't have cars, because I do get people who sign up in the app and say, I want to help you, but I have no car. So Zipcar has offered reduced driving rates. They, I believe it's half price for an hour if you sign up to do a food run. And our app has a way to indicate that you are doing a food run in a Zipcar. And so you get credit from Zipcar. And we are thrilled to have enhanced the ways that people can do food runs without cars. I do have one woman who has a bicycle and she's done a couple of runs. So I hate to think that something like not having a car would stand in the way of doing a food run. But we're very grateful to Zipcar for this partnership and hope to grow it more and more. Many of their clients are sustainable-minded folks who may not have a car for reasons because they're kind of environmentalists or they're thoughtfully about their own resources. And so it's kind of a natural connection. Those very people seem to like the idea of doing this food recovery work. So yes, Zipcar is a great partner and hopefully we'll continue to grow that partnership. Mm, So true. I never really thought about the fact that A lot of the people are intentional, obviously, because they're in the city. I'm out here in the burbs with my station wagon. But the people living in the city intentionally are going car-free for a whole plentitude of reasons. And that just ties right in with the conscientiousness of wanting to see food not go to waste and be a connector, taking it to a place where it's needed. So we were talking a little bit about the capacity that DC has to expand. And I wonder, in your mind, what's most needed for programs such as Food Rescue DC to scale to the impact where food waste could be affected in a very significant and enduring way? Well, we are fortunate that each time we benefit from a well-placed article in the city paper or a opportunity for me to have appeared on Great Day Washington on Giving Tuesday doing some food recovery work with their reporter or Street Sense did an article about us 
or anytime I'm able to sit on a panel discussion. These are all ways that we promote the idea because people have to know about it in order for us to grow. So that is part of what we need to scale up. We need more and more people to know that we're here. Beyond that, I have an amazing group of volunteers, many of whom do more than just the food runs. They have been pitching to their local markets that there's an agency that can help with their excess food. They go speak to their favorite restaurateurs and let it be known that there's a way that we could be saving their excess food. Of course, as more and more people know about it, then there'll be more and more relationships to cultivate. Once I get a donor, it's usually not as quick as a sign up in the app and a linkage to um, an agency. It is important for me to have a personal conversation, oftentimes a meeting, so that I really get to understand what the donation would look like. I get to understand what they're in it for, what makes them happy so that I can keep track and, and give them reports about where their food goes. There's a lot of cultivation that has to happen at the donor site and also at the receiving end. Same thing. But once that cultivation has happened, and oftentimes when a runner adopts a run, meaning that that same person does the same run week to week, I more and more get to step out of the relationship altogether and beautiful things happen and everybody knows each other by name and they text each other saying, can you come a little early today? Or um, we've got extra food. I hope you have your big car tomorrow, etc." So but because all of that takes time, it would be so ideal as we grow to be able to take on um, additional staff to help with uh, monitoring the runs and working some of those details so that um, I can be out in the community talking to the public school system about potential food recovery or um, doing some fundraising. I mean, there's some very generous companies that operate in this city. And once the app is up and running, there's not a lot of overhead required. But in fact, there are some staffing needs across the country in order to really make the program robust. So it, it's an opportunity for me potentially to connect with some of the potential donors in the city to see if they can uh, help us financially. You know, again, as I said before, driving down the street, walking down the street, I look left and right and I'm constantly thinking, oh, I need to approach that person or I should try that. So yes, I would like to have four of me and I'd like to have four of each of my key runners. And uh, then I think we'll really be cooking. Yeah, I just think about the potential for so many cities across the country, and we're going to need people like you in them with that capacity to see the landscape and to envision and to also go to whatever exists already and to connect with them and how to harness that. All of those skills I see now from your former life are coming in and playing into your role right now. So yeah, it's really important, isn't it, to have somebody with that kind of oversight capacity. Yeah, I think it is. I think you have to kind of, you know, not be afraid to get a little dirty from time to time. And uh, like when I was picking uh, collard greens, and it it can be kind of cumbersome to lift some of the heavy pounds and pounds of tomatoes, etc. So there's some physical work involved in it. But for me, I think it keeps me young. I like to also think that it keeps my brain sharp because I've got so many little details running around in my mind about whether or not Christina needs this tomorrow or next week. And whether or not the 
you know, bread first is closed on a certain day. So I have to remember to cancel that run, etc. It's all just swimming around in my brain. And um, the app, of course, contains most of the needed information. But there is a lot of tiny detail work that that is required in order for it to run smoothly. Yeah, this really is the perfect, perfect marriage of human element and relationship building with technology, even looking at your Google Maps. I mean, everyone should have that that works in in food rescue. That's an amazing invention and way to harness technology that you've done even. It's great. Well, I will say that one of the bonuses of this map that I've done is that we haven't talked too much about the food desert here in D.C. And it's interesting because one of the gentleman who runs an agency down in Ward 7, I actually said to him, is it appropriate for me to refer to where you work as the food desert? Because it seems, it just seems like a loaded term. And he said, well, we don't really love that that's what this is. He said, but in fact, if we don't call it what it is, we won't get the attention that we need. So yes, this is a food desert. So we're known, east of the Anacostia River is described as an area where there are no grocery stores within a certain radius. I mean, the food is just not there. And this is a chronic problem in the seventh and eighth ward, and I believe part of the fifth or sixth. So one of the things that my map shows so brilliantly, frankly, is the purple agencies down east of the Anacostia, that there's not a lot of red and there's not a lot of yellow surrounding these agencies because I don't have enough donors down there and I don't have as many food rescuers as I need. So when I'm able to show people that map, it eclipses the city very quickly. It's just like a snapshot of where people who perhaps have some spare time and perhaps um, some disposable income, who some of my runners who are retired or have free time, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, you know, there's a density of the food rescuers in certain parts of the city and the donors tend to be kind of centrally located. So more and more, I'm trying to find a way to get more red and yellow down by the purple and or work with a agencies like Campus Kitchen. They're up on Calvert Street here in the district. So it's it's a good drop-off location for some of my rescuers and my donors. And what they do is they repurpose the food and their drivers get it further out into the parts of the city that we really need to serve. So when I find an agency like that, that I can work with to kind of stretch our, our reach, it's a really wonderful marriage. One other great new relationship I have is with the University of District of Columbia because they are both food donors and they are a receiving agency. They have a farm on their rooftop that has wonderful harvests of produce that they want to pass forward what they cannot use. So I pick up food from there and we bring it out into the community. But there are also many students at UDC who are low income. And in fact, it is more and more common that universities and colleges have food pantries for their students. So we get to give back to UDC because some of the bread first food, some of the bagels, some other food, I'm going to work more and more with them in 2018 to help stock their food pantry. And they're so grateful for that. So it's just an example of a wonderful partnership where we both bring food to and we take food from UDC. And I just, I just think that's a great story. Yes, that is a perfect illustration of what you're striving for. 
So back in part one of the show, we talked about how you're still doing runs a few times a week with the intention of inspiring more people to sign up for food running, especially down in those wards that continue to be underserved. Can we talk about how their participation can allow you to expand the reach of Food Rescue U.S. into the DMV? The good news is I look in my app. We have this wonderful feature that comes out of the Connecticut office where if there are runs that are not covered by 6 p.m., this feature allows us to promote the runs that have not been covered. And so oftentimes I see that maybe two runs aren't covered. And by the time I look at the app in the morning, they're usually picked up, which is so beautiful because if I don't have to do a food run, that means I have more time to go cultivate the folks at the wharf, this great new development down in Southwest. We're talking to them about whether or not we can do food recovery from some of their fine restaurants or to kind of pursue some work with the public schools or to talk about some of the other uh, providers of cafeteria food. There's so many public buildings and private buildings in the city who have, you know, feed 7,000 people, actually. Some of them are these huge, huge buildings, and they have food that needs to be recovered. So that frees me up so that I can be making those relationships and not be on the road doing food runs. But every once in a while, if I see that a run hasn't been covered and it's from an agency or a donor that I particularly like and used to slog away with way back in the day, I'm happy to do the run and, and check in and have that personal FaceTime and connect. And, and they are usually pretty lovely and sweet and say, man, you've come a long way. We never see you anymore. And I say, that's the good news. That's because I have the volunteers who are doing the work that we need to have done. That also, I'm thinking about this work with the wharf and what you were saying earlier about getting the reds and the yellows closer to the purples. And this is an area that has gentrified a lot, the Southwest, in the last 10 years. A lot of D.C. They say that D.C., some of the neighborhoods have been the most rapidly gentrifying areas in the U.S. And we're, you know, dancing all over these very loaded terms and food deserts and all of this. But it's very important. Like the man you spoke to said that we call things what they are and we handle them as they are if we really want to serve. And it sounds to me like paying attention to areas that are emerging is a really, it's a big key in reaching those purple areas because it will bring those donors a little closer. Absolutely. It's so important. When I get a new food donor from an area where I don't have them, it's a huge boon. And it also allows us to engage some of the volunteers who live around that area because I mean, people are busy. By the same token, when I start to do more recovery in an area such as uh, the Wharf region, it allows the volunteers who live around there more opportunity to claim a run because they can fit it into their schedule. And at this point, I have to come in and again, as a volunteer, say that this is what's really worked for me and what I really love about Food Rescue US is that it does work with my schedule and my life and I get to choose when I do and don't come on as a runner. And just to come back to something Kate mentioned earlier, you guys, I've been volunteering my whole adult life. I understand that that has been a privilege to be able to do. But I can also say that there have been times when I've given a lot of time away and wondered what kind of impact that has made. And that is not a situation that I've ever encountered with Food Rescue U.S. This is honestly one of the most efficient and impactful ways that you can use an hour or two of your own time to really make a difference on so many levels. So with that said, I want to be mindful of your time right now, as well as Kate's. And thank you one more time, Kate, for coming on the show. I just want to thank you for all of the work and all of the relationships that you've cultivated, including the one that we have together. And 
you're just my food waste warrior bestie. And oh, absolutely. I, I don't know what I'd do without you, Jamie. You're, you're, uh, you keep me going. So true, truly when those, those rare days when I kind of feel like, what, what is this all about? And I'm very quickly reminded how important the work is and, and how much fun it is. Frankly, it's really fun. And it is fun. Did I fail to mention that part? So listeners, thank you so much for being here. That has been my shameless sell to you. If you're looking for something you want to do this year, a way that you can give your time in a really impactful way, whether you're interested in fighting hunger, helping people out, stopping food from being wasted, working on an environmental level, these are all important things and they're all elements that are hit upon with Food Rescue U.S., So I acknowledge that Food Rescue U.S. is not yet a fully national rollout model, but it operates in Connecticut, Washington, D.C., Ohio, Indiana, Louisiana, and New Mexico. Head on over to www.foodrescue.us. Check out the app. Get yourself registered. It's just that easy. You could be doing a food rescue tomorrow. If you didn't hear your residents listed in that rundown, perhaps it's time for you to step up as a site director. If that's the case, you can get right in touch with Kate at kate at foodrescue.us. Another thing you can do is simply go into your Google machine and Google food rescue organization plus the name of the city where you live. And that should pull up any food rescue efforts that exist where you're living. Be on the lookout for the short version of the show coming up in the next week or so. If you know someone who might be interested in food rescuing, but you know they won't invest an hour or even half an hour in listening to one or two of these shows, you can always send that along their way, 15 minutes to get a little bite, a little taster of what's in store. If you've enjoyed the show, I would so appreciate it if you headed over to iTunes or Stitcher or CastBox, wherever you listen and get your podcasts, and please leave a review of the show. This will help more people find this platform. Thank you, thank you, thank you in advance. I'm Jamie Rothbard. I am the foodie alchemist. And you can always count on me to say that food is a force that unites our bodies, our people, and our planet. <laughs>